With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Barca Talk. I am your host, Brian Henderson. And joining me from Madrid is your co-host, Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. How are you doing this weekend? I'm doing a little groggy. It's Again, it's Sunday morning for me. And, uh... I just performed in a concert last night because, you know, most of my time I, uh, I'm i a musician. So I uh, I was singing in this concert last night. It went pretty well. Uh, we did some pretty freaky music, and it went all right. And then uh, we're also uh, entertaining some guests here at the house, friends of Megan's. Um, so, you know, we got a lot of fun, exciting things going on here. It's, it's getting properly cold in Buffalo. We're hitting, you know, the 20 degrees Fahrenheit temperatures so we're starting to wear the uh, various layers of warm clothing we got the long underwear we got the big coats i got the hats so winter has arrived in buffalo we even had a little bit of snow the other day so there's this canopy of just cloud cover that descends on buffalo from about this time in november until march so there's a good chance that i will not see the sun until march Unless I go to California for for Christmas, which I should do. How's it going over there in Madrid? So we're we're starting to get cold weather here. Not as cold as as yours, but uh, definitely need our long jackets and uh, comforters at night for sure, and maybe a, a heater here, you know. But uh, we 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 have the sun, so that's that's that, that's a really a nice thing here. So really quick before, how would you how would you describe your voice? Would you describe your singing voice as like a mixture of Jesus and Fergie? <laughs> I would not. Um, I'm a I'm a pretty low bass voice, so like I like to get down there and sing low notes. And this is all mostly like kind of classical or classical type stuff, but it's all it's all contemporary. So I mean, sometimes we have to. We had we sang a piece last night where I had to just like scream. Um, not like Pantera scream, but just like yelling loudly, like singing very, very loudly. Um, and then in that same piece, I also had to make these creaky sounds like uh, that kind of thing. But like generally when I'm singing, I'm a I'm just I'm a bass. I like to be down low. I hold it down and I generally have a, a pretty smooth voice. So I did one time sing at a an Easter service in this like kind of. It was a just a piece of music, but there was a story involved. It was one of the passions, I think, actually. And I was the voice of Jesus, and um, mostly um, Jesus is voiced by a, a tenor singer, which is a higher voice. Um, 
and I sang it as a bass, and I, I think I convinced everyone in the church that day that Jesus should be heard as a bass, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> that was just uh, my... Honestly, don't get me talking about music, because the, the fact is I try to keep my, my Barca talk life and my other musical life kind of separate because if you get me if you get me started talking about music then it's it could just I'll just alienate you and I'll talk about all kinds of like insider stuff you know cuz like I'm getting a PhD in music I have a master's degree in music I have a lot of training I've been doing music pretty much my whole life I've been following Barca for like 7 years right so it, it's a it's a very different situation and if you get me started on music, man, it, it could just spin way, way out. So we don't we don't want to mix worlds. Is that what you're telling me? We don't want to mix Brian's music with Brian's love for Barca. We want to keep them separated. Right. Mostly because I assume that there's very, very little crossover between the sort of area of music that I operate in, which is it's very academic. It's like very, very niche kind of contemporary classical music. Like, I doubt anyone who listens to this show has also gone to my website, brianhenderson.net, and listened to the music that I write because there's just very little crossover. At the same time, none of my friends and colleagues in the music world, except for one or two, can even talk to me about football. I have one friend uh, who's a musicologist, and he studies mostly punk music, but he's a really cool guy. He's a Man City fan. I had him on the show uh, last season as a guest. Um, his name's Connor. And he and I can talk about football. But everyone else, they have no idea what I'm talking about. They have no interest. And I just sort of assume that the opposite is also true. You know, anyone who's listening to this show is probably a Barca fan and probably not into contemporary classical, you know, music like last night at the concert that we gave, there were about 25 people there in this gigantic church. And that's considered really good turnout. All right. Well, you know, that's where we're going down the music alley. So let's let's turn around and get back to Barca. Um, we have some good. Good. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. yeah. Thanks. We we have some exciting news. So, Brian, tell the fellow Kool-Aids what our upcoming exciting news is for Barca Talk. Big news for Barca Talk. We have some good news coming down the pike. Um, we will be available on Spotify soon. We've actually uh, we've set everything up. We've already been accepted into Spotify's uh, podcast listing network or however you want to think about it. They they have accepted us. Not not just anybody can get on Spotify, um, but we have been accepted. We've uh, set up all the technological things on our end to. Um, distribute the show on Spotify. Um, it hasn't shown up yet. I keep I search for it maybe three or four times a day. Um, and it's just going to be on the app. So if you're using Spotify on your desktop or whatever, it's not going to show up there. But if you're using any uh, Spotify app, either iPhone or Android, uh, eventually Barca Talk will appear there. So if you're also using Spotify for podcasts, in addition to whatever you're using to hear this right now, um, you should be able to find us on Spotify shortly, and we will keep you updated as to, you know, if that shows up uh, or not. I mean, it will eventually, but we'll let you know when it actually appears. Yeah, they kind of gave us like the cable company response, right? They're just like, uh, be at home between noon and 9 p.m. on a Tuesday, right? So we don't know. So, yeah, we've been accepted. I've been checking frantically five or six times a day because... I love Spotify, and so I'm just super excited that we're on Spotify as a podcast option. So I think that'll just um, 
you know, I know that some listeners were asking for it because a lot of listeners can listen to Spotify at different places. And um, the great thing about Spotify, it doesn't lose your place in the podcast, just like any other app. So that's another great feature that Spotify has. I'm a huge Spotify fan. I have a bunch of playlists and I just love the ability to listen to it on desktop and on the app. So I think that's great news for us just to have another option for our listeners to listen to Barca Talk. Yeah, and hopefully find new listeners. I mean, maybe there are people who are just really into Spotify. They don't want to get into other you know podcast apps, uh, particularly, I would think, Android users, because there's this native podcast app in iPhone, right? So if you use an iPhone, it's kind of built in that you could listen to podcasts if you want. But like Android users have to actually get a podcatcher app, you know, like post facto. Um, see, there's my there's my education coming through, right? <laughs> Throwing a little Latin at you. <laughs> but yeah, so like I'm I'm we're we are hoping uh, a lot that uh, just regular old Spotify users will happen upon the show and we can continue to to build the audience and uh, grow the community around Barca Talk. So we're very excited about it. But anyway, moving on, let's get into the show proper, Barca Talk, as it were. Uh, you know, we didn't have any games to review this this past week. Uh, there was an international break. So whenever we're on an international break, what we like to do is have some special feature story. And this week, uh, Gabriel had the idea to sort of relive and revisit the 91-92 dream team for Barcelona uh, and all of the circumstances surrounding that and uh, how revolutionary they were. So that's going to be our main feature story today so that even though there aren't games that we can review that just happened, we want to give you something special to experience. Um, Now, of course, we'll also be uh, responding to a few listener comments and questions. And we have a couple of uh, small news and notes from the first team. And, of course, we will check in with Barca B and the women's side. And then, of course, we'll look ahead to the matches that are coming up for the first team. So first up on our agenda today, uh, we want to respond to a couple listener comments and questions. Uh, This first one came from Pranit on Twitter. He says, hey, guys, question for the podcast this week. Rumors are that PK is more inclined to sign with Man U than City. However, there are also rumors that the board is looking to renew his contract. With his poor play, should we keep him and bring him off the bench, allowing him to mentor another promising center back from outside? Um, and he suggests, in parentheses, Jonathan Ta, or anyone from Barca B. Or should we let him go? I love PK and the spirit attitude he brings to the club and would hate to see him leave, but what are your thoughts? So, Brian, do you think... I mean, so I saw this question, and I don't think the board should release him. Obviously, I think they should renew him because having a center back of PK's quality is really, really hard to find a replacement. And when I read this comment, in my mind, I was like, okay, is he really having a poor season? Like, I don't think he's having such a poor season. Maybe he's had a couple gaps here and there, but, I mean, I don't think he's really, like, on a super decline or anything, like, where... He's had games in consecutive where you're like, wow, PK looks super slow or PK can't uh, make the right pass. I mean, I I haven't had that feeling. And to give up on a center back of PK stature, I think, would be uh, a terrible move because it's so hard to get back, to recoup back. I mean, do you think that I mean, what do you think that PK is having such a bad season? I don't think he's having that bad of a season. 
No, I don't think he's having a bad season at all. Uh, I think there's a possibility that maybe he's actually being a little bit outshined by Umtiti because Umtiti has been performing so incredibly well and putting out so many fires. And um, I mean, he's a different kind of center back from PK. PK is a little bit more positional and cerebral, whereas Umtiti is more physical. So I'm wondering if, you know, maybe just having Umtiti on there, which is great. We love Umtiti. We love, we love Monsieur Umtiti. We should, we'll get into that in a second. But I think it's possible that if you're looking at the two of them playing together, you might think that PK is not having a great season. But yeah, I haven't seen him make any serious mistakes. I don't think he's lost too many steps. You know, he's, He's 30 years old, but, you know, at this point in time, the the fitness levels for a lot of these players, I mean, every individual player is sort of on some level responsible for their own longevity and fitness. But uh, I feel like the the medical staff and the physical therapy and the physical trainers at Barca, they're operating at a really high level of sort of scientific understanding of maintaining longevity. And so even though he's 30, you might think that's old, but I think he easily has a few more years of really solid play in him. And I don't think he's had a bad season at all. And as far as these these rumors are concerned, I mean, I don't know. He can do whatever he wants to do. I think that the the board should do everything they can to hold on to him, not only to play, but also to mentor uh, an upcoming uh, center back. Like I was just checking in this morning on Marlon Santos. Remember him? We we sent him out on loan to Nice. I don't really know how he's doing. I haven't checked in with his progress, if he's getting playing time with Nice or if he's going to come back to Barca. But I, I felt like I really enjoyed some of the performances that he gave. Also, you know, we've talked in the past about how we'd like to see Bartra come back to Barcelona. That would be great. But no, I don't think Pique has had, is having a bad season by any stretch. And uh, I don't see why we we should let him go at all. I think you brought up a good point with the, you know, we're seeing Monsieur MTT um, playing so well. And so the contrast between PK and him, you know, it's more significant. Uh, but also I think that PK, you know, he's, he brings something back there. Like you said, he's a cerebral player. He positions himself well. Plus he's super confident with the ball passing from the back, which is a huge thing for us. Again, for me, finding a center back is super difficult to find in the free market especially one in their prime, it's going to be super expensive. So for me, like just renew them for three to four years and go from there. And then, um, you know, we can upgrade the attack. That's an easier thing to do through the transfer market as opposed to uh, finding another center back. So that's, you know, it's a great question. But I just don't, I think the Man U Man City are just rumors, especially with this week, you know, newspapers are looking just for more traction and things to talk about because it's so slow with no uh, league games in the world. Yeah, and most of the international games are all friendlies. There are very few competitive ones, and certainly not any competitive games of note happening in the international matches, so there's not a whole lot of interest there. The club schedule is you know, is non-existent. So yeah, these, these papers and, and uh, various media outlets, they, they have to create content. That's their entire job is to create content doesn't matter what <laughs> whether it's good or useful or not so okay um actually let me take a break from this gabriel and let's talk about monsieur Umtiti for a moment so you ran a twitter poll this week um and how did that go yeah so we had a twitter poll last week and we were trying to figure out the official nickname for mr samuel Umtiti, 
and we we came officially with the official nickname with Monsieur Mtiti. The other runners up names were really good. We should have added this other one, which was super good. Uh, I forget someone on Twitter added Puyol with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really great. That was a really good one. But uh, we were talking about the mailman we had up there, and then we also had um, Puyol 2.0. I'm perfectly fine with Monsieur MTT, just with the little our little French accent. But also, it's just kind of it's also really cool because I like you know um, uh, Mr. Umtiti. It just sounds more official and just more I don't know like more solid of a nickname, and it just represents of who he is as a player as well. I think so. I think it's a really fitting nickname, and I want to thank all the people who voted. I thought that was great because we want to always you know have uh, voting in different social media. Unfortunately, I'm on Facebook. They don't really have a good um, poll system unless you have a different type of group. So we ran it on Twitter and we had a good turnout. So officially, BarsaTalk.net nickname for Mr. Samuel Umtiti is Monsieur Umtiti. Yeah, and now there was there was one comment on Facebook, uh, another name that I liked, uh, just the wall. But uh, I'm I'm very happy to call him Monsieur Umtiti because you know then I get to work on my French accent. I mean, who I mean who who doesn't, right? Everyone wants to work on their French accent, so that's the goal, right? Yes. Okay. Everybody but our next comment came from uh Kareem and he just got in touch with us through um the website barsatalk.net. Uh he says, "Hi guys, I really love your show and it's the first thing I do on my Montreal cold Monday." Yeah, if it's cold here in Buffalo, I can't imagine how cold it is in Montreal at this point. Uh, anyway, he says, my question is, what are the odds to see Tiago Alcantara back in Barca? Especially, he might be the best solution to our midfield. I think we really need him. Thank you, guys. So I, do you think we really need Tiago in the midfield at this point? I think it was one of the board's biggest mistakes to let him go. I think they weren't patient enough. They didn't see maybe the deterioration of Xavi and Iniesta so far, you know. Because imagine if we had Tiago right now, then our midfield would just be that much stronger. We had him on a good contract at the time uh, because he was from, you know, we've had him in the youth system for so long. So we didn't have to pay so much money for him. But I think the odds are super, super, super low that he'll ever come back just because he's a star player for Bayern. He's having a good career there. And for us to pay for him, we would have to pay out the nose to get him back. And so... You know, I think that was one of their biggest mistakes because I really like Tiago. He was, uh, of you know, he had flair. He was really good. You know, he just needed more playing time and just to be a little bit more disciplined, which I think he would have arrived to that point because now we see how he is in Bayern. But I don't think they're going to bring him back. And, you know, he was a really great player, or not was, but is a great player. And I wish that the Barca board would have hung on to him a little bit longer. So, unfortunately, I think for Kareem and other people who are Tiago fans, I don't see him coming back into Barca anytime soon. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I absolutely agree that letting him go was one of the biggest mistakes that board has made because when they let him go, he was still pretty young. He wasn't, I guess you would say, fully formed as a player yet. But then you just saw within within one or two seasons at Bayern uh, with Pep Guardiola, how he just he just lit up. He came on fire and now he's indispensable to Bayern he's doing a great job over there and I think because of that he's found that he can you know have a successful career and even though he came up through the uh, through La Masia the B squad and all that I don't think that he has too much sentimentality about Barca so I think that would be that would be the only thing aside from a whole lot of money that would ever bring him back 
and um, it seems like he's perfectly happy where he is. You know, eventually in any player's career, uh, you might want to find some some new challenges. But that's the thing is going back to Barca wouldn't really be a new challenge for him. He's kind of already done that challenge. So I I imagine one day he'll leave Bayern and go somewhere else, but I doubt it will be Barca. I would say the odds, because Kareem specifically said, what are the odds? Uh, I'm going to say 40 to 1. Because you know I'm a I'm also a Vegas bookmaker in in my off time. I'll go I'll go even lower. I'll say one hundred to one or two hundred to one. I just I just don't think he's going to come. I just think the price is too high, and like you said, I don't think he's so sentimental to come back to to Barca where you know there could be a, a negotiation for that. I think he's happy in Bayern, and yeah, we we missed out on that opportunity. You know, midfielders are are really hard to find, especially you know we saw flashes of his talent during the Barca days when, when he was on the team. And it's just unfortunate that they just kind of gave up on him and sold him to Bayern. Yeah, it was a real shame. Thank you, Kareem, for the question. And uh, our last one, uh, Gabriel, you actually threw this into our show notes. Why don't you lead this one off? Yeah, this uh, question comment comes from Luis uh, Cello FCB 10 on Twitter. And he was asking, what do you guys think about Irving Lozano for Barca? He plays with PSV. He's a great 1v1 better than deuces delafeu so i i looked up his stats and of course his amazing youtube mixtape obviously so he's like the greatest player you've ever seen but uh i think you know um luis brought up some good uh, a good player here he's a very young winger for the mexican national team he's about 22 years old he's playing for psv he, he's a he's a regular starter very quick he would be he could play left wing or right wing in a four two three one I think it would be a good fit. And also, PSV is known to sell their players for a good price. They're never really a club that's looking to sell a player for more than, you know, $30 million or something like this. So I think if Barcelona, if actually if Lozano was on Barcelona's radar, they could get him for a good price. And I think he would be a really good fit. I think he has a lot of experience already internationally being on the Mexican national team. And I think he would be a good fit because he's quick with his feet. He has good passing. You know, he's a, he's almost like a prototypical Barca player. You know, he's not super strong, not super tall, but really good and really cerebral. And so those are the type of players we want for Barca if we're going to invest in a midfielder outside of uh, La Masia. So I will definitely check it, be following him a little bit more, and we'll see. But I think this is a, a really good, um, interesting point from Luis to point out this player because, like I said, he, if he's an upgrade from Delafeu, you could probably get this guy for like $10 million, and that would be a, that would be a steal. Yeah, well, his current market value, according to TransferMarket.com, is 15 million euro. But that's not to say that if Barcelona wanted him, they couldn't get him maybe for a little bit less or, you know, some deal. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's still compared with what we paid for Dembele. That's a that's a bargain. Correct. And and the age of him, 22. Maybe if we offer him uh, uh, Vermeulen, a bag of balls and the money, maybe we can get Lozano. <laughs> what kind of balls yeah yeah we'll give you a bag of really nice soccer balls from nike <laughs> and we're also we'll also throw in vermalin and they're like oh the transfer need, the transfer fee is now fourteen million five hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah <laughs> thanks a lot yeah the bag of balls had more weight on that than vermalin yeah no absolutely but thank you, Luis, for that question. That was good. We're going to keep an eye on Lozano now. Uh, maybe I'll watch some, some Dutch league if possible. 
But that pretty much does it. Those are all the comments and questions that we got this week. Thanks to everyone, uh, all three of you who uh, chimed in this week. We appreciate it. Keep them coming. And again, you can just go to barsatalk.net to find whatever channel you want to communicate with us through. We we check all of them and we we respond to all of them. Now, getting into some news and notes, it's been a sort of a slow week. Uh, I didn't do any particular workup on this, but as far as the club goes, they had a big uh, symposium on sports technology. They had over 600 people speaking and um well i don't know if 600 people spoke a lot of people came uh, and it was like two or three days of all kinds of talks they had people from nasa there giving presentations on sports technology so i think that that's um peripherally interesting to me uh to see you know how the club is involved in hosting these events about you know improving sports technology but they're also that's having to do with fitness and player fitness and tracking that sort of thing but also you know marketing and all the various ways that technology can can help the sports world that was a a small thing that happened this week and I just want to mention it like I said I didn't I didn't really do a whole workup on it so I don't really have a report for you Uh, but I did think that that was barely of note so I just want to mention it Uh, but two things that I did want to talk about this week uh, were that uh, Dembele seems to be on a good road to recovery the uh, the club released a video of him this week doing some physical training, and uh, it was all low impact stuff, nothing with the ball. Uh, but he's starting to look good, and of course, you know, it's just for them, it's a slow week because there weren't any first team games, so that's probably why they released this video. It's not that anything particularly monumental has happened, but at the same time, it's good to see him working and you know out on the field doing some physical work and uh, and training. Yeah, I mean, like we always talk about with injuries, you know, you just want to make sure that, you know, he's about 90% healthy because, you know, it's really hard to become 100%. But again, I just hope he comes in the beginning of January. I just don't want to use him for the Classico, just save him for January where he's fully fit, fully integrated and doesn't have all this pressure because, you know, if we're in the Classico and he comes and he gets hurt again, then who knows how long he's going to be out. So just ease him back, right? I mean, he's super young. Well, yeah, of course, it's, it would be great to have him now, but at the same time, we just need to watch and monitor. I mean, this is this is going into our next news with Luis Suarez's uh, you know interview with Barca TV about his injury status. But it's just you know this is always a fine line because you know the medical staff have the diagnostics to see to a point, but the player also has to feel good and also psychologically be ready to do all the full movement that they normally do and that's always a really fine line to to dance around so i just hope since dembele is so important to the future of the club that they take their time and they make sure that he's close to 100 percent before he comes out to play yeah i mean he he seems really optimistic and he seems really in high spirits and i imagine that the the competitor in him wants him to you know he wants to get back out on on the pitch as soon as possible but i'm I think that the club is taking the right attitude with him, and they're just saying, you know, just take your time. We're not in a rush. Let's get you fully fit. And like we've talked about before, it was a really, really serious injury that he sustained. So they need to make sure that he's getting rehabilitated and recovering properly before they put any pressure on him. And, you know, there were even rumors that the injury itself came from him maybe feeling a little bit of pressure to perform and uh, he didn't tell them that he was feeling a little tenderness or some problems uh, in his leg and he played and then he you know he made that sprint and he just tore it up 
So, you know, there, I, I think this has been a, probably a big learning experience for him and assuming that he recovers well, and he probably, sh- uh, he will, he probably should at least, um, then that actually could help him, you know, moving forward throughout the rest of his career. But yeah, and now you mentioned this, but our next uh, little note uh, was that Luis Suarez uh, did an interview with Barca TV this week, and he was talking about a number of things, but uh, the couple of bullet points that I pulled from that were that he was saying that both the medical staff at Barca and at Uruguay agreed that he should have a rest, so that's why he was in Barcelona to give the interview. He didn't go to wherever Uruguay is playing their international matches. He's he's taking a rest at the... um, recommendation of medical staffs at both Barcelona and and the Uruguay team um, so that was good that he pointed that out because we were talking about that last week that you know he hasn't been performing really well uh, lately he you know he hasn't been doing the thing that we hope for him to do which is mainly score goals um, and we were pointing you were saying specifically that you know maybe he just needs a, a bit of rest and uh, the medical staffs agreed so they gave him that rest uh, he's been training but he's been training alone um, I don't know if he's been on the ball or not but uh, he's been sort of training by himself separately from the other uh, players who weren't called up for international duty they had some training sessions but he was kind of doing his own um, individual training sessions at the same time and uh, yeah they're just giving him a rest and as far as the whole, you know, not scoring goals thing, uh, he says that uh, he's the first to criticize himself in this interview. He says, you know, I can score more goals, but at times the ball just doesn't want to go in. And um, and then he really em- emphasized just the team and helping the team, being grateful that they've managed to put up wins without his goals, but recognizing at the same time that, uh, yeah, he he could score more goals and he, he wants to. I'm not sure how I feel about this whole, like, at times the ball just doesn't want to go in thing. What are your thoughts on that? That's some, like, voodoo magic, you know? The ball doesn't want to go in. False. Like, I understand that. You know, sometimes you're unlucky and that happens. But, uh, you know, we've all had this, right? We've had to maybe write a paper or maybe for you had to compose something. For me, sometimes when I have to create uh, visual art for social media or something, we're looking at something for so long that we lose the creativity or we lose the focus. And sometimes it's mandatory that we step away. We kind of take a break from it and we come back. And all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, like with the writing, maybe I can figure this out. And I just think that's what Suarez needs to do. He just needs to kind of maybe not suit up for two games, watch from the stadium, maybe see different things and say, okay, and just... Take his mind off of it. You know, when you press and you press and you press trying to score a goal, it just becomes worse, you know. And I just think he just needs, I mean, what's two games? That's nothing, you know. And I bet you he's going to become fresher and he's going to become hungrier and he will find the back of the net. You know, like we always talk about, he provides so many other things for us up front that we need him completely on board. And just taking this little mental vacation is maybe what he needs. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Maybe, you know, it'll help him, you know, for the rest of the season. So, like I say, it's never a bad thing to take. Everyone wants to play starting minutes, right? Messi always wants to play. Suarez wants to play. But sometimes you just need to pump the brakes a little bit and take a timeout and come back and come back even hungrier and stronger and fresher more than anything. Yeah, yeah. and But, yeah, the whole, like, voodoo thing about the ball not wanting to go in. I mean, it's that you're not you're not getting the right angles. But you're dealing with very, very fine angles. Like, I get that, like, you're just, like, a little bit off. 
but yeah, it's the the ball has no um, desires of its own. But I absolutely agree that uh, it would be good if he just didn't suit up for a game or two, and yeah, took us took a step back because yeah, we've all experienced that. Just like you say, in in the, even in the small things that we do versus the more you know public things that he does, it's all the same, right? Like maybe he has a little bit of the yips right now. He's a little bit too in his head, maybe, and he's just he just needs to be, step back a little bit. And the club can do that right now. Like they're they're doing well. They've put up all mostly wins. They had one draw in the league. They could absolutely get away with just putting Alcacer in there. Alcacer has been playing really well when he's played. So you know, give him the uh, the nod. Let Suarez sit out, step back for a minute. Absolutely, I agree. Moving on to Barca B and FCB Femini, the women's side. Uh, we want to check in with them. It was kind of a not great week for Barca B. Um, they started off with a 1-1 draw against Cultural Leonesa, which was good. Uh, they had a goal from Lozano, and uh, I watched the highlights of that. It was actually a really strong attacking display, but uh, they weren't finishing their chances well. They made a lot of chances, uh, but they just weren't finishing most of them. They just got that one goal from Lozano. And it was their fourth consecutive draw, which at the time uh, was good as far as what we hope for from Barca B. You know, we just want them to get points, stay in the second division so that they can, you know, keep playing the uh, the teams that have been relegated recently, the ones who have more Primera Division experience. Uh, so as long as they can stay in the second division, we're we're happy. So four draws in a row or a bunch of draws, like we're basically okay with that. Uh, but then on Saturday, they lost to Huesca 2-0. Uh, currently, they're 14th in the table. They have 14 points in 16 matches, three wins, seven draws, four losses. But so you look at that whole record, I think that's you know about where we want them to be. And again, the important thing is that certain players are getting the minutes, they're getting time, and they're getting experience with uh, older, more experienced sides so that they can eventually, hopefully, shift into the first team and of course the players we're watching the players i'm watching most are are nice uh and carlos alenia but i also have my eye on uh vitinho more and more right now uh, as far as shifting up to the first team eventually you know hope hope fingers crossed uh, but that's what's going on with barca b uh gabriel what's in what's going on with the women's side so fcb feminine had two games this week um currently they're going to play their Sunday um, league game tonight. So as as we're recording, they have not uh, played. But they had an uh, important Champions League midweek. Uh, I watched most of the game. It was quite interesting just because you knew that FCB Femini were going to smash this other team just because FCB Femini just has more resources, better players. And sure enough, they won 6 nothing. All the goals were pretty good, most of them from set plays. But the really nice one was uh, Tony Dugan's goal also. She had one where she just turned and fired Upper 90, really nice goal. So really good victory for the ladies. They're, they're chugging through Champions League, so they're, they'll, they'll qualify through this round. Um, as of right now in the league, they are second behind Atletico Madrid, but Atletico Madrid played yesterday, so that's why they're ahead with 25 points. Um, FCB Feminine are with 22. And, yeah, so they're going to play later on tonight, uh, 6 o'clock local time here in Madrid. 
And then this week they have another two games. They have, uh, again, the Lithuanian team comes to Barcelona, so they should be able to win that match as well. And then they have another league game on Sunday in, in Tenerife. So that is the roundup for FCB Femini. They just keep cruising along, not giving up goals and scoring many goals. You know, they're super talented compared to a lot of other international women's team with uh, Martins and Dugan at the top doing a lot of the attacking for them. But they're just, uh, they're just striding along just like the men's team. Yeah, some of those plays, like the there was a play uh, where Martins uh, brought it down and put put a amazing cross in. Like she is just incredible out on the left side. She's a really strong uh, winger, and she makes great crosses, great moves, get past defenders. And also, I'm I'm looking at the table right now. It really seems like the um, the rivalry here or the 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 title race in the women's league is between between us and Atletico Madrid they've been pretty much tied on points this whole time of course when they played each other they drew and assuming that uh that FCB wins their game tonight they'll be tied on points but they have a much better uh, goal differential uh they've scored 31 like you were saying they're just like a goal machine they've scored 31 goals and only conceded two in the league which is really good numbers uh, so, I mean, we, we assume, or we hope that they'll, uh, that they'll win tonight. You know, you can't take anything for granted, obviously, but yeah, that title race between them and Atletico, because after that athletic, uh, Bilbao is in third place by like seven points behind. So it seems like that league is really shaping up to be a, a two horse race, mostly with Atletico, which I, I, th- I thought is interesting. Uh, notice that, uh, there's. Does Real Madrid even have a women's team? No. And that's another reason why you should never support Real Madrid. They hate women. So they... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you like everything that is bad in the world are qualities that your rival has. Correct. Yeah, they hate women. I think they're actually Nazis. <laughs> yeah. So, no, they just don't... They just don't have... The, I, I don't think they just really looked at it as a business plan for them. I think they're just mainly focused uh, as a men's team. Uh, I would be interested to see the Madrid team that is currently, or who FCB Femini are going to play this uh, today if they eventually become integrated with Real Madrid. I think that's what they would want. But I also think Real Madrid just doesn't want to put any type of extra resources into things they don't think are very beneficial to their overall business plan. But that's why Barcelona is such a great entity because it's it's like an all-encompassing more sport, right? So. They're more inclusive with this type of thing. They, they see the future with women's football, and it's just another thing of branding. So um, I just, I don't, you know, maybe Real Madrid eventually catches up to it, but I think that's really interesting that Letico have invested into a women's team. So they're probably taking all the best uh, players here in Madrid already. So it'll be very difficult yeah. for Real Madrid to start up again, but you never know. Yeah, that's true. We'll see how that how the women's game shapes up. You know, we're going to be here for a while doing this show, and we'll keep tracking how how the women's game progresses. Moving forward, though, this is our this is our big feature story for the week, and I have to say, I'm really excited about this. Uh, you know, I'm I've heard about the '91 '92 Dream Team, and I know a little bit about it. I know that Cruyff was very involved. I wasn't super familiar with many of the players, but uh, this was your baby, Gabriel. Uh, since we didn't have any matches to talk about, we want to feature and relive the dream of 91-92, particularly because they... I mean, it was a longer-term t- project, but it seems like that season, 91-92, was really where Cruyff's project really hit its apex. Uh, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. This is more 
this is more your thing. So let's start talking about the 9192 Dream Team. What do you got? All right. So, you know, when we were talking about what we were going to talk about, I think this topic is a really great topic because, you know, for example, like you're a new Kool-Aid, right? So you don't, you may not have not known so much about the Dream Team and how important it was. And for me, I didn't really know that much until later on, like maybe 2000 about this team, just because I followed a bunch of these players through the World Cup. But like you're, like you said, this was a culmination of what Cruyff came, you know, put together the, the style, the players that he signed. Everything came together for this 91-92 dream season. So they won La Liga. They won the Supercopa de España. They won the European Cup, which is now the Champions League. And they also won the the much-tested uh, Gamper Trophy that we always <laughs> we joke about. So all in all, it was a great, se- a great season. Unfortunately, in the Copa del Rey, they got bounced in the round of 16. But at that time, it was much more difficult. It was much more competitive. So the Copa del Rey, I can see them being bounced. But, you know, Cruyff arrived in 88 with this vision to bring the style of football to Barcelona. And, you know, at that time in Spanish football, it was super boring. You know, like we were talking earlier before we started really recording the podcast um, today, that the Spanish teams would just show up with a ball and they would their mentality was, okay, let's just try to get a point here and just get a tie and just kind of pass the ball around. And if, if I happen to score, great, but I'm not going to go after the win. And that was kind of the mentality of the Spanish football at that time. And it's very interesting because I came across this quote that uh, Croy said. He said, I, since I'm the manager, I have to watch every game and I want to watch beautiful football. So I'm going to implement my style, which is attacking football. And so when he arrived at Barca, he completely changed the formation. He changed to a 3-5-2. And at this time, this was like, you know, the biggest revolution in football because everyone was always playing a 4-4-2. It was so set in stone everywhere around the world. And so he decided to go with this 3-5-2. Now, do you, you know, before he came to Barcelona, he was an Ajax and he already won a, a European Cup and it was super successful, but now he wanted to do it on a bigger stage in Barcelona. And so when I was coming across uh, investigating this for the podcast, I came across a couple of documentaries and reading different things. And really what it comes down to is the signing of these four Basque players. And they are Jose Maria Baquero, Julio Salinas, Andoni Goicochea and Jose Ramon Alexanico. And when he signed these players, they were like basically the backbone of the team with attitude, toughness, technical ability, and overall just being really solid players. Have you ever heard of any of these players before? Well, I have now because just yesterday I was actually watching the 92 European Cup final. And uh, and I was uh, well, I also have heard of them because uh, I'd been doing some searching and I found this awesome music video of uh, some Barcelona players uh, showing off their rapping skills. And, you know, it's kind of weird to think about like where Europe was at the time, because this was 91. I mean, I think that video was maybe from 90, 90, 91. But you look at the fashions, you know, they got the kind of baggy stonewashed jeans with the sort of patterned rayon button downs tucked in. You know, the hair is a little bit floppy. And then they got the dancers doing some, I guess it was kind of 90s, but it seems like, you know, they're a little bit behind maybe where the United States were. I kind of felt like, am I at a middle school dance or am I at a high school dance? It's a little hard to say because, like, the dancers had the overall shorts with the one strap undone and that kind of thing. 
but yeah, the, <laughs> I was watching that. I'm like, okay, I don't know who these players are. I recognize Komen, <laughs> but it turns out like Bakero was in there, Ladrup was in there, and now that I've been doing more watching, uh, now I know more about who they are because I was preparing for this week and I was watching my own documentaries, videos, doing some reading, um, and and now I know who those players are, and particularly in that final, like when uh, Goekajea came off the bench, like he was like made like such a big impact in that game, like. And all those Basque players, um, you know, Zubi Zoretta came from the Basque country also, but mm-hmm. a little bit earlier, I think. Um, he was already there when Cruyff arrived, I, I, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, these these players, I'm now very familiar with them. Well, a- as much as I can be. Yeah, so that rap video we'll post on the Facebook because that thing is magic. It's pure magic. The magic is on the tape, you know, like in uh, Boogie Nights. The magic is ours. It's on the tapes, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that so, is a yeah. real gem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll definitely post it because it's hilarious. It's just, it's pure 90s, terrible hip-hop, uh, you know, music. It's almost like a karaoke session. Anyway, we digress. Uh, so that was the big thing was that um, Cruyff installed at 3-5-2, you know, and the whole thing about this was overloading the midfield and the defense didn't know where the attack was coming because all those the seven players were able to go forward. And so that created chaos for the defense. Now, Cruyff also installed, which was you know revolutionary at the time, was to start the possession with the goalkeeper. And so Zubi Zoretta was the goalkeeper. And at that time, remember, they could pick up the ball. So they, didn't, they could pick up the ball with their hands. So they pick up the ball, and they would roll it to the fullback, and then the fullback would give it to the midfield and so on, just like we see today. So that was a huge step because before, goalkeepers were considered – not football players. They were just considered, you know, just to stop the ball and do that. But Cruyffs wanted to use that as an extra player, as an advantage. And so he made Zubizarreta to use his feet as much as possible, pick up the ball, and think short passing as opposed to long passing, only in emergency cases. So that was like one of the biggest, you know, the three-five-two and the, the possession starting with the goalkeeper. And at that time, that was just like, you know, fire, you know, with the caveman. It was just like super revolutionary. Um, be- <laughs> right? You like that? You know, fire with yeah, the caveman. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no, because, you know, no one wanted to experiment so much with different formations at that time because it just it just wasn't heard of, you know? And so Cruyff coming up with a 3-5-2, you know, and when you watch the videos of the Dream Team, the way they pass and going through, you see the defense. When they see a midfielder coming through on a through ball, they're just like, what just happened? They're just like, what is going on? Because they were always so accustomed to marking up the two forwards at the top. So, again, this took a while to implement, right? So he came in 88. The first season, you know, it was okay. The second season, okay. But, again, it, the final culmination of all these tactics, players, everything was the 91-92 season. So we want to highlight some players and some of the most important players and of the 91-92 Dream Team. So the first player we're going to highlight is Ronald Koeman. Now, Brian, did you know anything before we worked up? Did you know anything about Ronald Koeman? I had heard of Ronald Koeman uh, before this because he, I don't know, for some reason he just sort of pops up a lot more uh, when you're researching Barca and getting a sense getting a sense for Barcelona. He just sort of comes up a little bit more. He's, he's more at the top of the radar. So I didn't know what position he played. I know that he scored the winning goal in that European Cup final. So maybe just because of that, I, I know I knew about him before. I know that he, um, that he manages now. Um, I forget where exactly. I think he's back in his home country managing uh, in Holland, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So that's where I was at with Koeman. 
Okay. So basically the, the biggest thing with Kumin is he was a revolutionary center back, right? So since they were playing three in the back, not only was he a physical specimen back in the day, but he has he was the free kick specialist and he was also the director of the defense and also the distribution passing forward. And at this time again, this was revolutionary because like we've talked about, a four four two, you had a pairing, and they were not considered responsible for starting the attack. But Kumin was an amazing player at that time, was able to pass, was physical, and he was probably the most important player on the team because everything kind of ran through him. And he was one of Cruyff's most important and first signings. So he was with Barca for a long time. And of course, that free kick in Wembley is the most iconic free kick in Barcelona history. Let's move on to another great player, uh, Michael Laudrup. What about Michael Laudrup? Anything on him, Brian? I don't think, I mean, I think I've heard his name. But until this last week, I had never seen any examples of him playing. I've never seen any footage of him. So, like for a new Kool Aid like me, it was great to sort of go back and look at some uh, look at some footage of Ladrup in action. Yeah, so he was a really important player because he was a midfielder that could play. He he kind of blurred the lines between being a striker and an attacking midfield. And that was super important in the three five two because he could run through, make proper runs, and he can shoot from outside. He was really creative. My first heard of him on the Danish team in the World Cup of like I think it was eighty six, so a long time ago. But uh, he was super important, and he brought this creative dynamic in the midfield that Barcelona was lacking for a long time. So along with Laudrup and the four Basque players we talked about, it was a great. Uh, mixture of toughness, creativity, and passing. So they were able to possess the ball for a long amount of time, but also when the final third run came, they were able to convert and score a lot of goals. So again, these other teams didn't know how to match up with it. They just didn't know where the runs were coming. Since you had five in the midfield, you overran them. And so that was really huge in important games. Now let's move on to one of my favorite players of all time. Seriously, this is one of my favorite players. Christo Stoichkov. What about him? Have you did you know anything about him? I no. I mean, same kind of thing with Laudrup. It's like I've heard the name, I have seen current pictures of him, but uh I hadn't really seen him in action until uh going back and looking at old footage this past week. But I know that you from based on your interview with Francesc from the Barcelona podcast, I know that both of you uh, really have have a thing for Stoichkov. Like if you were to get one Barca player tattooed on your body, I think it would be Stoichkov for you, right? Yeah, he'd be he'd be top three. It would be like I love mom, and then underneath would be Stoichkov, right? So something like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, with the mullet that he was sporting back in the nineties, oh, yeah. he might kind of look like a mother. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He was he uh, for me. Not only was he a physical presence, but you know he had the nickname the boss, and he just had this swagger about him. And like I was a left-footed player, so I looked at him as an icon, as an idol. His left foot was spectacular, so much power and accuracy. And I may just um, link on Facebook as well. He has this goal from the '94 World Cup that is just on a counter that is just magic, and so. You know, Stoichkov brought this physicality that Barca had never really had before. So, you know, this grand mixture of possessing the ball, having Kuman in the back, these Basque players, the dynamic creativity of Laudrup and uh, Eusebio as well. And then also having Stoichkov as the point man 
like it's just a great team that you know if you watch the games you can you know it doesn't look so um so aged this type of thing so you know these are the players that we wanted to highlight and the system and also why it was revolutionary because before none of this had ever been used or investigated for football matches yeah and i had a question real quick actually about how None of these players, either the four Basque players or Kuman or Lajup or Stoichkov, none of them were, even at, at the time, I don't think, considered like megastars. I mean, nowadays we have, with the media being what it is and branding and all that sort of thing, like it's actually easier to be a megastar in a way, whereas in the early 90s, like, I don't know, I'm thinking like, here in America, right, we had Jordan, right? Or before that, we had, like, Magic Johnson in basketball. Like, they were, like, superstars because they both, they did a lot of endorsements and they engaged with the media and they sort of liked being in the in the spotlight. They weren't just playing their game. But I feel like almost everyone on this Barcelona team were not high-ticket pre- high players. They were just really good players. Cruyff knew what he wanted and he put them together into a team so that he could give them, he could, they could give him, I, I should say, the result that he wanted. You know, he wasn't going after stars. None of them were particularly big names. And, of course, this is prior to, you know, the age of Beckham and that sort of thing. But what what are your thoughts on their kind of, like, star status at the time and how that actually helped the team or contributed to the team? Yeah, definitely. That was one of Cruyff's best uh, attributes was his ability to find talent. And so when he came to Barca, so like, for example, Stoichkov was playing in the Bulgarian league and he found him like that's crazy, even like pre-internet, you know, so he somehow saw him in this European Cup and made a note of it. And he signed him for dirt cheap. Also, Laudrup was on Juventus before. And he was kind of a sub like he was playing a lot, but he wasn't also like he was having some problems in Juventus. And Cruyff made a note of it and signed him, you know, these type of signings. So and the Basque players, he was able to get them at a good price. So not only was he finding really, you know, underused players, but he also found them at a good price. And they all came together and they had really good chemistry, which, you know, chemistry goes a long way. It's hard to measure, hard to find. And that really helped with the 91 and 92 dream season. Yeah, and so this came to, like we said, a culmination of the European Cup final that was played on Wembley the 20th of May in 1992. And that was against the Italian team, Sampdoria. And when I was reading these documentaries and stuff, Sampdoria was also a quality team at the time. And both both Barca and Sampdoria were both fighting for their first European uh, championship. And so this was very important to both teams. Um, this, this game was well fought. Uh, Sampdoria had three chances, three crucial chances they could have taken the lead. But for whatever reason, they couldn't find the back of the net. And obviously, this game went into extra time where Kuman in the 112th minute hit the free kick heard around the world. Such a great set piece. If you watch the replays of it, Kuman gets the ball through this little window that just, you know, in a split second. And basically, Stoichkov rolls the ball to Bakero. Bakero stops the ball, puts it on a tee for Kuman, basically. And Kuman just. You know, as he said in the interview, I was with the interview I was watching, he said, I just put my head down and just try to hit it as I always did in practice. And sure enough, uh, he hit it perfectly out of the reach of the goalkeeper for Sampdoria. And Kuman was the um, the hero for Barcelona. And of course, again, it's just crazy that Kuman as a center back 
was the leading scorer of the European Cup uh, season that season, you know, through um, Champions League or the Champions League before that. So it's crazy to think that the center back had the most goals for Barca. So that's how important he was. Uh, Barcelona was able to finally win their first cup. You know, this was really important because before this, Real Madrid had won four, I think, or four or five. And I know those were in the 50s and the 70s and stuff, but still, they still had that those European championships over Barcelona. So Barcelona was always looking to get their first one. And so this was a really pivotal moment, you know, for Barcelona, Catalonia. And yeah, so this basically shaped the team that we watch now, the tactics, the philosophy, La Masia, the history that we have is all developed from this culmination of this one dream season of winning everything possibly except for the Copa del Rey. Yeah, and like that that final, you know, there were all there were a lot of chances on both sides, but like I think probably the biggest heartbreaking one was the the attempt from Stoichkov that came off the post. Like he had it, he was clear and it was a good shot, but it was just a tiny tiny bit outside and it came off the post and it's such a heartbreaker. And then you know when it goes into extra time, you know, you're getting to the 112th minute, you're like 8 9 minutes away from this whole thing being done and then going to the the most bullshit way to decide a winner in in all of sports, which is the the so-called penalty shootout. Uh, I hate it. <laughs> and so I'm always really ha- like happy and satisfied when a goal can happen during the actual game. But yeah, just all the chances that they missed. I'm so glad that they, you know, scored in the game. And that free kick was, I, I could watch it over and over again. I've watched it several times this week. But also... Uh, watching that game is when you when you talk about how the Barca style you know mostly came from Cruyff if you watch like that final or I imagine any of their games from from those years you see Guardiola on the ball or you see Kuhlman on the ball and I see Busquets of today you know I Busquets tend to, today does kind of what Kuhlman and Guardiola both did in that like in the final at least and I imagine that that was a lot of their season they were playing like that uh and you just see like all these echoes and the the same kinds of things. I mean, of course, nowadays the game is faster. It's like even more technical. And I think, you know, we have Messi to thank for that because now we have Messi on the pitch. So you can't compare it really. But looking at like the midfield and how they build up play with Kuman and how Guardiola was just so brilliant at maintaining possession and anchoring that spot right in front of Kuman, Like I just I keep seeing Busquets in it. Uh, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about. Like, you can integrate the players of our team today or maybe from 2011 and put them on the 92 team, and that's where you see the similarities, the echoes that you talked about. And again, it just all comes to the culmination. You know, when you have a style, like a footballistic style, let's say, it comes from somewhere, and this is where it came from. And I always just think it's interesting to see how different it was back then, how revolutionary it was, because when you watch the highlights of these goals – I just laugh because you just see the defense and how lost they look because they just don't know because they'd never seen it before. It's like, like we said, it's like caveman that didn't see fire before. It's all of a sudden you see this fire like, wow, what's going on, you know? And they just see these through runs coming at them and they're just like, uh, where do I go, you know? And so, yeah, so that's why it was revolution. And this game, again, was super uh, tough game. Both teams had chances. It went to extra time. Fortunately, Kuman got that goal, you know, in these big games, you get so physically taxed and also so mentally taxed that these little um, moments, you know, that's when the superstars become 
the superstars because of these moments in these big games, high-pressure situations. And, of course, Kuman delivered. And it was funny because I was watching a documentary where Pep Guardiola was talking about Kuman and about how in practice he's so clinical. And so he had a feeling that this was the moment for Kuman to score the goal at this moment because he had watched him so many times preparing for this specific one chance. And, of course, Kuman was able to bring that first European Cup to Barcelona. Hip, hip, hooray. Yeah. Oh, and I did have one other thought about the whole victim complex thing, right? Because, uh, like you were saying, Madrid, they had won some European Cup finals. Barcelona never had uh, prior to this. And, of course, they're huge rivals. So, apparently, you know, before Cruyff came, there was a lot of uh, victim complex at Barcelona. And it's kind of hard to imagine if you're a Barcelona fan now and if you've you know joined up following Barcelona in recent years. They've been doing so much winning, like this whole era of Messi and even before that with Ronaldinho and all that kind of winning. It's hard to imagine that Barcelona would be suffering from a a victim complex, but apparently they really were. And Cruyff came in and he just changed all of that. He changed the whole mindset of the club so that they would, they could think like winners and be winners. Yeah, totally true. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to, right? They always felt like second class team to Real Madrid at that moment because you know, they were both successful teams, but Real Madrid had more European championships to that point. So, yeah, you definitely have a good point there that they had this complex, you know, it's almost like a big brother, little brother complex. Like, we were just as good, but they had more trophies. And it was kind of, you know, they just kept one-upping us on that front. So, that really much concludes, you know, what the 91-92 Dream Team brought uh, to FC Barcelona, how they able to change the culture the tactics, the philosophy to what we see today that we're still using. And, you know, when I went to the museum, they have a whole section to this this team, and it's amazing. You can watch video highlights of the players. They have player profiles, and, of course, they have the trophy on display, the first one, which is, you know, the first one's always kind of the most important, you know, um, and the most or the one that you usually remember. I'm, you know, I wasn't a Barca fan at that time, but I can appreciate the history and obviously the importance of that first European championship. Also, you know, I was thinking, like, what was I doing when this was happening? So, like, May 92, what was what was I doing? And it's kind of interesting to think about how something so monumental in a club that we now both love so much, when that was happening, both of us were just, you know, living our lives in California. We were young, because we're pretty much the same age, you and I. And, and we, like, we probably didn't even... I mean, I didn't even realize that there was so much football in the world. You know, that's like what it was like growing up then in the States. I mean, I, your dad, I think, exposed you to it more. So maybe you had a better idea. But like when I was a kid, we went to um, we went to games sort of this this horrible, like low division team called the California Surf. I think it was the North American Soccer League or, you know, one of those kind of like second tier <laughs> things but like I didn't realize that soccer was so big in the world and I think back to 92 I had I guess I was in my freshman year of high school and uh you know I was starting to just like learn Metallica songs and play guitar and I was growing my hair long and wearing all black and you know trying to give my stick up my finger to the man and now here I am, 40-year-old man, looking back on this footage thinking like, oh, man, I wish I'd have seen that. I wish I'd have, I mean, but the way I was then and the way I am and the way I am now, like, the, well, the way I was then and 
whatever was happening with Barcelona at the time just really had nothing in common. I don't think it was ever going to mix, but it's almost like I, I don't know. It's like my, I wish my life had gone differently so that I'd have been aware of it. I, I told, I mean, I'm with you, you know, like there was like this whole other thing going across the ocean, you know, like this dream team phenomenon, you know, was sweeping Europe and we were totally oblivious to it. You know, at that moment in 92, I was only focused on my 49ers, the, um, you know, who else was uh, watching Michael Jordan at that time. And, you know, I didn't, you know, because of TV coverage and news, you just didn't know anything about what was going across the pond. You know, for me with soccer or football, like I've always been into the World Cup and that was my first exposure. And then eventually that led to watching leagues, but that wasn't until later down the line. So for me, like I found these players watching the World Cup, but I had no idea you know, about the dream team or Croy for any of this stuff. So I always find it fascinating, like you said, to go back and check it out because I too was trying to learn lyrics to Metallica at that time. So, well, that was right <laughs> after the black album came out, you know, so that was, exactly. that was really exactly. their first crossover success. I mean, artistically speaking, you know, it's an inferior album, but it had a lot more pop appeal. <laughs> Correct. Unforgiven and Unforgiven 2? Unforgiven. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I can't even tell you how many times I found myself playing Unforgiven, you know, trying to impress girls. It did not work. <laughs> but Well, un- well I, have, I have a quick antidote. Unforgiven was the official song of our makeout parties. So <laughs> let that sink in for a little bit. Man, that is a weird <laughs> fucked up song to be, your, to be having at your makeout parties. I mean, the main goal was to find slow songs, you know, and at that time, nothing else matters, had... dude. <laughs> okay, that too. That was also on there. That was also on the yeah, mixtape, you know. Totally. So, you know, <laughs> nothing more romantic than Metallica slow songs, you know. And then you mix in a little boys to men. <laughs> you know, <laughs> could could be, yeah. could be Motown Philly, yeah, something like this. But anyway, we <laughs> we digress again. But uh, just to put a cap on this. Um, I, I love that we talked about this this week, and it was a great feature story. And uh, we both watched a lot of footage, did a lot of research over the week to get ready to kind of talk about this. And frankly, what we talked about today was just kind of a distillation of everything that we took in over the week. And um, if if you're a, a newer Kool-Aid such as myself, uh, go back and look at uh, some of these documentaries, watch some of this footage. It's uh, it's really incredible because, you know, the Barca that we know and love today can, it doesn't go back as far as 1899, really. It really goes back to 1988. Like, it, the, the Barcelona that we know and love now started in 1988 when Johan Cruyff came and that dream team in 91-92 in and how it all came together there. Uh, that set up everything that has been happening at Barcelona ever since. So if you love Barcelona now, and especially if you're newer, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be too prescriptive and like tell you what is and isn't okay. But I'm just saying that I feel like I've really learned this week just the significance of, of that team. So if you haven't gone back and looked at some of that footage and uh, – learned more about it, I highly recommend that you do because uh, I found it to be uh, a really great experience uh, on a week where there weren't any league games to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's always great to look at the, that footage, you know. You, you've got to remember that history, that why it's so important, and it's just fascinating. I just, I just, 
you know, I, I, for me, I, I think YouTube is one of the greatest, you know, for me, YouTube is like my fire. Like it's this revolutionary thing that you can watch anything you want and watching FC Barcelona videos. I could, you could, man, I could just be stuck watching that. I just love watching highlights and goals and all these mixtapes that people are so creative putting together. So I really appreciate those people that put those videos, but it's just fascinating to see, like you said, to see the echoes of Barcelona today back from 1988, 89, 91, 92, all these years from before. So good point there that, you know, yeah, the club was founded in 1899, but it really, you know, the Barcelona we know and love today really started, you know, 1988 with Cruyff became the, the manager and really put everything into motion. Yeah. So, um, so go check all that stuff out. For us, we're going to move ahead with uh, the episode and look forward to some uh, present-day matches that are going to be happening this week. Uh, the first one is going to be in La Liga. That's going to be on the 18th of November against Leganes in Madrid. So they're going to be on the road. Uh, actually, Barcelona does have a few road games coming up. Uh, they're not going to be playing in the Camp Nou anytime soon um, for the current stretch. So the first one against Leganes... What do you think, Gabriel? Do we need to be worried? Uh, what are the concerns? Because whenever they go on the road, we get a little bit worried, right? I mean, I, but, you know, we as we've seen this year, it's just a different seasons, And I think they're just more focused. Um, I think with Valverde, Val Green, uh, putting different lineups, it gives those new players even more focus to concentrate on these lower-tier teams. So I think they'll get away with the win again. And Legana is not really a highly touted stadium. It's not a, a hard place to play. Again, it's in Madrid, but it's in the outskirts of Madrid. And, um, yeah, so I, I definitely think they'll be able to get the points and continue uh, with the unbeaten streak. Well, now, Leganes are around ninth place right now in the table, uh, so they're not exactly a bottom-of-the-table kind of team, although Athletic Bilbao is, I'd say, still a good club, and they're in 15th place. So, you know, things can happen. But it seems like Leganes is actually having a fairly decent season so far. Yeah, definitely. You know, like... Right, like a Leganes is going to be gunning for them for sure. But you know, I think Val Green, especially after this international break, um, getting the focus, they've just been more focused on these away games that they kind of had problems last year, the two years before under Luis Enrique. I think Val Green is really using the bench well. You know, obviously, like we talked about, not using Semedo enough. Maybe he uses Semedo in this game. I'm not too worried about the match. I think they'll be able to get the victory for sure. Yeah, well, I think Semedo starting is probably a pretty good odds uh, because I think Sergio Roberto is still injured. Uh, they're still waiting for him to come back. So Semedo is, uh, should really be taking advantage of this time. Um, I mean, I'm really sad that Sergio Roberto is injured because, you know, I love him with all my heart. But I think it's also a good opportunity for Semedo to, you know, show what he can do and, and perform. Now, also, I think, I think I know the answer to this, but do you think Alcacer should start? And Luis Suarez should sit out. Definitely, yes. I think this is a tailor-made game for Paco Alcazar because I think he can exploit the Leganes defense with his speed better than Luis Suarez. And I think that Paco is playing with a lot of confidence. Like we said, he's every game he's played in, he's scored a goal. And so I think ride that momentum and just give Luis Suarez a break and let's ride Paco. I mean, we know Messi's going to play. And, you know, go to a 4-3-3 with deuces. I don't know. Use, but I definitely think that Paco should start. I think that would be a great, uh, I think it would be a great freshness to the team to give that. He's going to press high, and also he's going to give that defense problems with his speed. Yeah. Now, look, thinking about the other game also, because the lineup 
for Leganes, I think, will probably be affected by the fact that just four days later, on the 22nd, uh, Barca is going to be playing Juventus in Turin at Allianz uh, Stadium in the Champions League. Uh, now, of course, these two sides are uh, still in competition with each other for the top spot in the group. It looks pretty clear that those are the ones who are going through. That's exactly how we knew it was going to go when the groups were drawn. But, of course, the fight is still to see who's going to come out on top of the group. And uh, I and since there's only four days between the league match with Leganes, a weaker side against Juventus, which even though we handled them really well in the first round at the Camp Nou, you know, you never know. They're a really good side, and they've had some time to probably, you know, get their things together some more. And uh, so I haven't really been following Juventus, but I imagine that it's not going to be an easy match. So you might want to rest some players in the Leganes match, maybe uh, not start Iniesta, Maybe save him for the Juventus match. Maybe Denis Suarez will get the nod against Leganes. Uh, but all of those lineup decisions have to be taken into account uh, for Leganes because we're going to be playing Juventus just a few days later. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's it's definitely going to you know tell us what Val Green is thinking for the Juventus game based on the Leganes game, right? If he goes younger and more squad players, then he'll know that he's saving those players for Juventus. But yeah, it's going to be a difficult match. It's always a difficult place to play. You know, when you're the home team in Champions League, it's so much easier. It's so much more comfortable because you don't have to do the traveling. So, you know, even though it's not a far distance to Turin, Barcelona still has to travel. They have to, you know, get out of their comfort zone. And plus, it's four days after playing a La Liga match. However, I'm confident that they'll be super focused for this match as opposed to the last year when they went to Juventus I think Val Green will have them ready to go you know like we said you know having the mixture of players with keeping them fresh keeping everyone focused and keeping everyone feeling important you know you the biggest thing for the coach especially at this level is he wants all the players pulling on that rope together right and so by interchanging these squad players all the time giving a lot of variety every player is uh, as we say in Spanish, enchufado, like connected uh, into it, you know? And so everyone's into it. So I think Val Green will have them ready for both of these matches, especially after this international break where most of them didn't play. They'll be fresh for these two tough matches coming up. Yeah, and I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to predict that Paulinho is going to start in the Leganes match and then he'll be on the bench for Juventus. Interesting. I will. I, see, I can see him playing in the Juventus match to match the physicality that Juventus brings. I could see that happening. But I definitely, you know, like we talked about earlier, and my, my famous quote is, I was happy to see Paulinho start. Uh, you know, I'm perfectly confident with his ability to, if he plays in the Leganes game or Juventus, that he'll be able to provide not only physicality, but also some attacking prowess for Barca. Yeah, and this last week was, I think, a particularly good week for, for me because I had a lot going on. Uh, in school, so it was kind of nice to take a week off from uh, from the league and watching the games, the Champions League, and all that, the you know, club dates and all that. But uh, I am also now very excited for Barcelona to be back in action in these two games. So I'm really looking forward to watching these two. Me too, you know. And so since the players were on international break, you know, I got to do things like go to IKEA for three hours yesterday, you know, where I was standing up for such a long time, my feet started to hurt. So I'm excited for the matches to come to 
not have to do Ikea trips, but I digress. But three hours at Ikea, I think that's about the minimum amount of time that you can spend going to Ikea. So I'd say you did pretty well. Yeah, but see, the thing, like we were talking earlier, Madrid, Ikea is on the outside of Madrid. So it's almost like the the journey to Mordor, you know, it's almost like you. it takes an hour to get there, plus the three hours, plus the hour back. And it's just like, man, I felt like I just ran a half marathon, you know? Yeah. Okay. So now you get to spend three hours in two different sessions over the next week watching Barcelona play. So you'll just be sitting on your couch. That'll be nice. Correct. I'll be ready for that. I'll be I'll be focused and ready to take my notes for the future podcast episodes. Yeah, we're, we've got to show up and do our job. All right, that's it for this week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to be a part of the show. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Just find us at barsatalk.net to find any way that you want to get in touch with us. Uh, Thanks for listening. And also, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Spread the word about Barca Talk to your friends. And keep an eye out for us on Spotify, on your phone. Until next time, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thanks again. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.